Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a new podcast series featuring the NIDDK's Urologic Diseases in America report. This project has been funded in whole or in part with the federal funds from the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases, National Institutes of Health, Department of Health and Human Services, under contract number 75N94019F00260. Hello. This is Brian Metlaga. I'm a professor of urology at Johns Hopkins University, and I am also serve as the principal investigator for the Urologic Diseases in America project. And I have the honor of speaking to you today through the AUA's podcast series as we explore new and novel ways to begin to disseminate the work of the Urologic Diseases Project to our larger community and also to begin to interface with that community to understand how the information that we gather in the course of our analyses can best serve what we do uh, as urologists on a daily basis. I have the honor also of speaking today with uh, Dr. Kevin Abbott from the uh, NIDDK who oversees the Urologic Diseases in America project. And what I'd like to do at the beginning here is just to spend a few minutes chatting with Dr. Abbott just to understand what the NIDDK's view of the Urologic Diseases Project is, why they support it, and what they hope to see the project accomplish. So, Dr. Abbott, thank you for for joining us. And um, I guess I'll just start off just asking, um, what do you see as the role the Urologic Diseases in America Project plays for the NIDDK? Um, and what that value is. All right, Brian, thank you very much. Um, So the NIDDK has a variety of compendia uh, or annual data reports in various diseases. Um, So urologic diseases in America fits in that and complements that very nicely. The the oldest one is uh, the United States Renal Data System, uh, which was established by legislation back in the 80s and uh, we have corresponding uh, annual data reports or compendia in diabetes and digestive disorders. And so the main purpose of these is to provide a service that uh, the community generally would not do is the general uh, dis- descriptive epidemiology of these particular diseases, um, providing estimates of prevalence and incidence of certain conditions uh, where possible uh, prognosis, uh, and essentially to provide a starting point for researchers so that they can get at least some estimates uh, in planning uh, clinical trials and other projects, and also uh, projects of interest to the lay-in research community. And and now that the urologic diseases uh, project is you know kind of well over a decade in age. Um, what do you see as the um, vision for the next, you know, say five years of how you see the urologic community um, uh, beginning to adapt these findings? So one of the uh, key advances we'd like to make, and or actually right uh, inside of us, is um, in the field of benign urology. Uh, we have in the past uh, relied, like other diseases, on clinical codes and based on billing data, which for particularly benign urology may be very insensitive. 
And so we have um, made some arrangements with certain data sources to get access to full text data uh, from electronic health records and others, um, which we hope at some point in a not too distant future to be able to harness um, and expand on our knowledge of uh, the uh, prevalence uh, and risk factors of these conditions. Thanks so much, Dr. Abbott. That's that's incredibly helpful to understand at a at a high level what the NIDDK leadership views as really you know what makes the urologic diseases project important. Um, so I've had the uh, good fortune of working with the team from Social Scientific Systems uh, and the group from NIDDK, uh, Dr. Abbott, Dr. Zia Kakali, Dr. Tamara Babindam, uh, to um, over the past few years, as we began to look at some of these benign urologic diseases, as Dr. Abbott mentioned, and what I'm looking forward to is over this coming year that we will begin to explore these different uh, conditions in much more detail. And so we will have separate podcasts that will be devoted to taking a deeper dive into these benign urologic conditions. And so for example, uh, we will be sharing information from our work on the on urinary incontinence, benign prostatic hyperplasia, and also kidney stone disease. And those are just a few of the podcast episodes that we look forward to presenting over the course. Okay, is just share maybe just for a few minutes some high-level findings uh, from those uh, analyses. Uh, discuss a little bit about the teams that will be presenting the deeper dive into that information. So if we start with urinary incontinence, we'll be presenting information on this condition that we've gathered from analyses of the uh, NHANES data set, um, which is a national health and nutrition uh, survey, uh, also from CMS Medicare data, and also from uh, Optum Health uh, data. So that gives us really, I think, a very broad understanding of the condition from uh, a survey instrument that goes out that's nationally representative, from Medicare, which obviously gives us a good understanding of older Americans and how they utilize healthcare and the outcomes they may experience, and then also from a working age population too. Um, and so within urinary incontinence, we've partnered with uh, Dr. Kathleen Kobashi and Dr. Una Lee, who will be uh, sharing their work that they've done in this uh, area, discussing some of the publications that they've put together uh, that we're starting to see come out in the press, in the, the urologic press at this point. And I think that one thing that we've worked to identify in the field of urinary incontinence is what is the patient level experience? How are patients diagnosed with the condition? And then also, how is treatment evolving? And I think one of the striking things when we looked at urinary incontinence data is that we have seen fairly significant paradigm shifts in treatment. For example, a, a movement away for certain populations of using um, uh, sling or suspension procedures. Uh, and then that, you know, I think brings up a, a very interesting question of kind of the, the larger uh, effect that um, uh, um, litigation has had in the use of um, uh, prosthetic mesh in this field. When we talk about um, benign prosthetic hyperplasia, Kevin McVary and Charles Welliver 
will share insights they've learned in looking at these data. Um, and I think that what uh, what is very apparent to us uh, as we look at the data is that as we have an aging population, the, the burden of the disease is increasing. We're seeing more and more men being diagnosed with benign prosthetic hyperplasia. Um, but I think that one thing that was striking is that the surgical treatment terrain is fairly dynamic. And we do see you know, minimally invasive therapies as they come onto the scene, patients are oftentimes treated with them. And then after several years, those therapies maybe don't have quite the durability of some of the historic gold standard interventions like transurethral resection of the prostate. And uh, those therapies begin to kind of die away. And so we'll be able to explore that in much more detail. The great thing from having Medicare data is now that we have Medicare Part D data, which is um, uh, pharmaceutical benefits and also with the private payer data set that also has um, uh, benefits for prescription drug utilization. We can begin to characterize how medications are used by these patients. Um, so for BPH, obviously, there is a whole um, uh, library of uh, pharma pharmacologic agents that we can apply to patients with enlarged prostates, and so these data will be able to give us a greater insight into how those are utilized. And then the third disease process um, that we'll explore is kidney stone disease. And both in the adult population as well as in the pediatric population. And um, again, you know, when we talk about treatments, especially a condition such as kidney stones, where surgical treatments are very commonly utilized, we can begin to characterize how those treatments are applied to patients. And we can begin to have a discussion of quality to some extent. Obviously, that's a very broad topic, but one aspect of quality is looking at what are retreatment rates, and so we can get an understanding, since we have longitudinal data, of how patients are treated, and then do some undergo more than one treatment for a kidney stone. And within an administrative data set, we can get some information such as that, especially with our Medicare and our Optum data. Leveraging our understanding of um, drug utilization, of prescription drug utilization, we can explore things like opioids. Obviously, kidney stones themselves, and then certainly the treatment for a kidney stone can be painful. The United States is in the midst of a very concerning time with a recognition that there may be <clears throat> market overutilization of opioids. So we can begin to explore how um, physicians have been utilizing opioids in the setting of stone disease, both among adults as well as among a pediatric population. And I think we had you know, very interesting insights in that there is um, fairly uh, widespread utilization of opioids, and, and it gives us an understanding of is that an area for potential process improvement. We can look at things like imaging studies, how stones are diagnosed, and are we using studies routinely that expose patients to large doses of ionizing radiation, things such as CT scans, and can those patterns of care be optimized? So, so I think what we're going to be embarking on over the next year is going to be a very exciting podcast series where we can take these data and oftentimes these data reside in compendia that are very, very dense, somewhat akin to reading a phone book at times, just they're very dense with text and numbers. And we can provide from subject matter experts, Dr. Kobashi, Dr. Lee, Dr. McBerry, Dr. Welliver, who can really give us, I think, insights into what's the important, what are the important findings in those data, and how 
one, cannot be adapted to improve clinical practice, and then two, from an investigational standpoint, how can these begin to inform new questions to ask, or can they provide answers to questions we're already asking? So, so I think that having this format of podcasts can provide, I think, a little more insight into these dense compendia of data that we have at present, and also by partnering with our, our subject matter experts that really know quite a lot about these fields, I think we'll be able to provide a little editorial commentary that also is insightful to the listener. So, so I'm very much looking forward to this upcoming year, uh, this new podcast series. Want to, of course, thank the American Urological Association for partnering with um, the Urologic Diseases in America project as we look at novel ways to disseminate this information, which, as Dr. Abbott said, I think is very important to the field, and it's a resource that really is not otherwise easily accessible to us as, um, as uh, urologists, as researchers, as physicians. So I'd like to thank you for joining for this introductory podcast episode. And, you know, I think at a, a fairly regular clip, about every other month over the course of this year, uh, we'll begin to launch these uh, podcast episodes and um, look forward to being a part of it with you. Thank you so much for joining.